Hey there, thanks for joining us here at Compass Church, where we are making God accessible to everyone. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, head over to our website, compassbn.com. We hope this inspires you and gives you practical ways to live out your faith. Enjoy the message. Well, hey, good morning, and thank you for joining me again in this fourth week of our Icebergs message series. Now, to get started, I just want to talk about the fact that we often take for granted that if a rule exists, that it's black and white, that it that it makes sense in every context, and that it's unchanging, right? But rules are often very contextual. I mean, for example, imagine a child is playing in a ball pit at Chuck E. Cheese and throws a ball at another child. It hits the other child right in the face and gives them a bloody nose. Now, the obvious response is that we would create a rule. We don't throw balls at people. Now, this definitely makes sense in this context. And it honestly, it even makes sense in most other contexts, right? Don't throw a ball at people. But imagine the child who threw the ball takes this command very seriously because they just felt terrible and he doesn't want to get in trouble again. What happens when he's in PE class and the teacher says that they are playing dodgeball? Can he throw the ball at another kid then? Or what about if his dad wants to play catch or some friends want to play football? Can he throw the ball at people then? Understanding the moral reason behind a rule is really the only way to know how a rule is to be, to be properly applied. It's an iceberg. We see the tip above the water, but we need to understand what lies beneath. And that's honestly what Jesus spent much of his time and much of his teaching doing. And, and the biggest iceberg that Jesus exposed, which really just kind of exposed his entire way of thinking about his kingdom, was in Matthew 22, when he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's a huge statement that Jesus is making. Love God and love your neighbor, and it covers all the rules. So in short, loving God and loving other people, it trumps all the rules. Because loving God and other people is the purpose for all the rules. It's why they exist. And over the last few weeks, we've seen Jesus applying this new kingdom ethic to different religious laws that, that people followed. And he continues that with what I think is a pretty sensitive subject today, and that is divorce. So let's see what Jesus had to say in Matthew 5, 31. He says, you have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife merely by giving her a written notice of divorce. So today what I'd like to do is tell you the story of divorce in the ancient Jewish world, give you the context for how this rule was applied, and show you what Jesus's response was. And then at the end, I'm just gonna share a few reflections of my own, because I know that there are people who have been divorced who are hearing this. And I want you to stick with me and remember that Jesus is defining his new kingdom ethic of loving our neighbor, and he's showing us how his followers will apply that kingdom ethic. Now, I expect this to be a judgment-free zone, and I hope that you can gain a clear understanding of what God's heart for you is and, and what God's heart for what you've been through is. So to understand divorce in the first century Jewish world, we really need to go back to the original rule that was handed down thousands of years before, the rule that they were following. And that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. It says, suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. 
Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, he hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. When she leaves his house, she is free to marry another man. So that summarizes really the, the Jewish law's view on divorce. And according to Jewish law, what we would call the Old Testament of the Bible, a man could divorce his wife simply by giving her a certificate of divorce. The certificate was, it was designed to clarify that the, their divorce was legal and complete so that she could take it and prove that she is free to remarry. Now, this was probably designed as a protection for the divorced wife because a divorced woman on her own back then was extremely vulnerable in the ancient world. And this, this gave anyone who wanted to marry her a legal and an ethical protection to do it. But note the reason a man could divorce his wife here in this law. It's if he discovered something wrong with her and if she did not please him. Now this seems pretty broad, right? And it is. I mean, you would think that this would be much clearer than it is, but it isn't. I mean, even some other Bible translation, translations use a different phrase, and they use the phrase, if he discovered something indecent about her. And while this is still vague, I mean, at least it gives the impression of maybe some sort of sexual issue, maybe adultery or something along those lines. But even then, it still isn't specific. And, and Jewish law has no problem using language around the wrongness of adultery. So if that's what it meant, you would think that that's what it would use, that that's what it would say. But it doesn't. And it leaves the hearer in a position of interpreting for themselves what that something wrong or what that something indecent is. And that's exactly what ancient Jewish rabbis and teachers did for thousands of years. In an attempt to understand and live out this law, I mean, they did their best to interpret exactly what it meant, and, and they came up with very different results. The reasons they taught for divorce covered a whole range of things, and there, was, there were some schools of rabbinical thought that were very conservative, and they understood indecency as sexual sin or adultery. And then there were rabbis on the other end of the spectrum who taught that you could get divorced for literally any reason you, you wanted. Like there's some ancient rabbinical writings that, that joke that a man could divorce his wife for burning dinner if he wanted to. Now, in spite of those who took a more conservative stance on divorce, really the overwhelming evidence that we get from ancient Jewish sources is that divorce was really relatively easy to get and it wasn't considered that big a deal. There was a first century Jewish historian named Josephus and he wrote this about his own divorce uh, in his autobiography. He writes that, at this period, I divorced my wife, being displeased at her behavior. And that's really all it took. And it's, it's into this cultural background that we find Jesus stepping in with his thoughts on divorce. And they're thoughts that lay out his new kingdom ethic for how he wants his followers to think and to live. And maybe the best place to explore this is in Matthew chapter 19. And this is a verse that we would get to eventually as we work our way through the book of Matthew. But I'm going to jump ahead today because it speaks volumes um, as to what we are talking about today. And so in Matthew 19 verse 3, uh, this is what happened. It said that some Pharisees came and tried to trap Jesus with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, 
the Pharisees here, they're laying out this old trap for Jesus because they know that whatever answer he gives, there are going to be people who don't like it. The conservatives won't like it if he says any reason, and the people who want divorce for any reason won't like it if he says they can't. But they expose how their culture saw and approached divorce, that a man could divorce his wife for just any reason. Story continues in verse 4. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So in the first part of his reply, he's really putting together a theology of marriage. And and, and he calls back all the way to creation to uphold God's intent for marriage from the very beginning. That two people in a monogamous, faithful, loving, and binding covenant relationship. That's what it is. And when Jesus says this, the Pharisees, they know they have him. Because they know what Moses said about divorce in the law, which is what we, we just read about in Deuteronomy chapter 24. And so they asked Jesus, well, then let me say this, Jesus. I lost my place. Sorry, hold on. He says, then why did Moses say in the law that man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. So Jesus, then and now, drops a bomb. Last week we talked about how Jesus equated looking with lustful intent or coveting another man's wife in your heart, that it's the same as adultery. And now, He says that whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else also commits adultery. This was not common Jewish thought at the time. Jesus actually went way deeper and way further than even the most conservative Jewish teachers of the law did. He goes on, he says in in Matthew 5 where we, we started, he says, You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. So there's a lot here. And and while I really can't lay out an entire theology of divorce today, there are a few reflections I have on this that I think are worth sharing. So, I mean, just a few takeaways that I think are worth sharing with you. And the first one is this. Clearly, marriage matters to Jesus. He takes the hardest line on divorce that anyone can take. In fact, if you read the account of this teaching in Mark and Luke, where the same story is told, the the adultery, adultery qualifier isn't even included. It just says that divorce is not good. When Jesus calls back to God's creation intent for marriage, he reveals that this is not some relationship that the government sanctions or that it's a relationship that's for the convenience of people until it doesn't work anymore. It is a deeply spiritual bond that mirrors God's covenant to never leave and forsake us. And Jesus is saying this in a cultural context, much like ours, that treats marriage like something that can easily be thrown away with nothing but a certificate. His argu- and his argument, because of that, is against this permissive and casual approach that the people were taking toward, 
towards the ending of a marriage. They were treating it like it didn't matter, like there weren't consequences. But there are. Look at what God says in Malachi 2. God says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. And I think this is what really clarifies Jesus' heart when he describes what divorce does to people. It hurts them. It's cruel and painful to all parties. And when Jesus sums up how his people, his followers will live by saying that they will love their neighbors as themselves, one would assume that this would be most perfectly expressed in what God designed to be the most loving, most committed, and most deeply binding relationship of them all, marriage. If Jesus' new law is love, then the breaking of the most sacred love is something that just doesn't fit within his kingdom. Among his followers, to whom sacrificial love for others is primary, divorce is just a thing that shouldn't happen. But before you start to think that this is a hardline, grace-free approach to the very real complications that exist in marriage today, let me share my second reflection with you. And it's this, it's that God understands our brokenness. Jesus said something in his interpretation of the Jewish divorce law that had never been said, and it spoke to God's heart towards people. Because Jesus said in Matthew 19, 8, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. Okay, so, so check this out. Even though God's intent was that divorce never happened, he understands that we are broken people living in a broken world. Jesus appealed back to the garden, right? The Garden of Eden to describe God's intent for marriage. But Jesus also knows that we don't live there now. And while his followers will work to rebuild that in this life, we will never reach perfection. So even when divorce is against God's will, he permits it, knowing that a good law can cause even more pain when executed without mercy. God's plan is for divorce to never happen, but he understands our brokenness. And even though he hates it, he creates space for it, for our good. And in this Jesus, who, who gave the statement giving permission by carving out space for divorce on the grounds of adultery, he calls us to extend grace to those who've been affected by it. And then my final reflection on this is that Jesus's law of love makes room for a new application of scripture. Now, we haven't talked about this yet, but, but follow me, okay? We have two standards for divorce. We have the law, which says that you can get divorced if you find something wrong with your spouse. And then there's Jesus's updated standard, which says you can only get divorced due to adultery. But there's actually a third standard for divorce in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12, Paul writes this, if a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. You see, there was this new problem that arose when Gentiles started becoming Christians. Their spouses weren't becoming Christians. And, and whether their unbelieving spouse 
worshipped Artemis or Jupiter or whatever other Roman gods were worshipped at the time, they were leaving and divorcing their Christian husbands and wives. Now, Paul, seeing that this was a problem and seeing that there needed to be some guidance, he said he determined that it was okay to get divorced if your unbelieving spouse left you. Now, this is really big. Why? Because Paul appears to have changed a clear teaching of Jesus on divorce, which interestingly is the same thing that Jesus did when he brought clarity to the Jewish scripture. So what does this mean? Does this mean that Paul is wrong? Should he not have done that? How do we make sense of this? And here, just my reflection is this. It means that when it comes to newly understood human need, that Jesus' law of love makes room for the deliberative adaptation and application of Scripture. Adaptation that serves Jesus' law of love and human need. Adaptation of the law that and Scripture that helps people. You see, Jesus' approach to marriage and divorce is both strict and full of grace. It's strict because his kingdom ethic shows us how serious our responsibility to love others is, particularly in the strongest love relationship that God has given us, marriage. But it's also full of grace because he not only understands our universal brokenness, but he understands that our world and our understanding of things is constantly changing. The fact that the divorce rate in the church is the same as that outside of the church means something. And while some may look at that fact with condemnation, I think Jesus' approach would be very different. From the writing of Jewish scriptures, God hated divorce and does, not because marriage is some analogy of his love for us, but because it hurts people he loves. Divorce is cruel. It's painful. It's the ultimate breaking of love. And if you have been through it, I want you to know that God has grace for you. His kingdom goal is for our love to be so strong that divorce isn't a thing anymore. But that same love requires reconciliation, care, and healing for those who've been hurt by it. My prayer for us as we work through this is that we apply our love for others in this way, in Jesus's way. And my prayer is that as we navigate the the waters that surround us of divorce, that we do it with the grace and the love of Jesus. That it's a love that calls out to people who are hurting and broken. That it calls out to families, husbands, wives, their children who are suffering because of the brokenness of our world. And that in coming to Jesus and embracing them in, that we are also introducing them to a new kingdom ethic of love that's greater than we could ever have imagined. And my prayer is that God give us wisdom as we, like Paul did, use a deliberative process to understand how do we apply Jesus's law of love in our culture and in our world, in the area of divorce and in every other area of our lives and in the lives of people who are hurting in our world so that we can just live out what Jesus called us to, to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to truly love our neighbor as ourselves. Thanks again for joining us today. If you want to learn more about us as a church, get connected, need prayer, or anything else at all, head over to our website, compassbn.com.